Um, as we said earlier, we are starting a new series this morning on the book of Second Timothy. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to reach uh, under the seat in front of you. There should be one there. If you don't own one, that is our gift to you. Keep it. Second um, Timothy is in the New Testament. There's no shame in going to the chat table of contents if you need it. Second uh, Timothy, uh, Fudd preached through First Timothy. Uh, I looked back, it was started in fall of 2009. So this is five years ago, not long after the church got started. So I did First Timothy a while back. This uh, series is not coming on the heels of First Timothy. Uh, all of those podcasts are available, so if you're interested in hearing that, uh, please feel free to go back to... Um, our iTunes podcast, you can get them all. Uh, we were planning the sermon series for this fall and for next year, and as we were looking, uh, Fudd had said he'd always wanted to come back and go Second Timothy. Um, it was a good place for us to do, so we're going to be in Second Timothy for the next few weeks. Um, so a little bit about Second Timothy. Uh, I mentioned some already, but as the name implies, this is the second letter written to a man named Timothy. Uh, most scholars believe it was the final letter that Paul wrote before his execution. Um, it's a very, very personal letter. Um, it's a very personal letter written from Paul to Timothy, encouraging him to boldly hold on and live out the faith. Now, if you're not sure who Timothy and Paul are, don't worry, we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. So it's okay if you don't know who they are. We're going to kind of discuss that a little bit. Um, the message of, from, from Paul to Timothy is one that we as followers of Christ need to hear today. It's one that we need to hold on to. It's one that we need to grab. And just as this was entrusted to Paul and then entrusted to Timothy, this message has been entrusted to us, which is what we're going to really kind of unpack a little bit today. Um, so the title, as you see, is Entrusted. You'll probably hear this word a good bit. When we, th- we think about entrusted, uh, really there's kind of two facets to it. As you look up and you kind of define entrusted, there's two things. One of them is uh, to, to place something in someone's care. So if you entrust your children to someone during while you're going on a date, so if my wife and I go out on a date, we entrust our children to someone's care that they're going to take care of it, so we give them to them to take care of. Or if you have something special, you give it to someone that they would take care of it. That's one facet. Um, but there's also another facet, and that is that you assign responsibility for doing something. So if you entrust something to one, you know they're going to do it. And so going back, even that analogy of my wife and I going on a date and entrusting our children, we know that entrusting more than they're just going to sit there and watch them. You know, if there's food, they're going to feed them. They're going to make sure they don't, you know, jump off the couch doing headbutts at each other. I mean, just stuff like that. We're entrusting them. We're, there's a responsibility that goes with that. And so what we need to do is as we're going through this whole series, and especially even today as we start working and unpacking some of what's in this passage, we want to keep both of those in mind because both of those are important. So even as we start talking about something being entrusted or the gospel being entrusted, both of those are there. There's the idea of putting it in someone's care, and the idea of giving a responsibility. There, there's both. We've given it to your care for responsibility. There's a reason why it's been given to us. And hopefully what we're going to do is we're going to, be to unpack that just a little bit today. So what we'd like to do is I'd like to read our passage together. I'd like to ask you if you would to stand. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, sometimes we do this, we stand because we recognize this is God's word. It's a letter by Paul to Timothy, but this is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, given not just to Timothy, but to us. So in recognizing that it's God's word, we're going to read. We're going to read verses 1 through 14, um, and that's where we'll be this morning. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 1. 
Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard unto that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You may be seated. So here's our, here's our passage, and so what I want to do this morning is I want to look, and we, we've seen this word, um, we, we didn't come up with a title for the series, just that we thought it would be a cool word. As you're reading this text, I hope you heard multiple times the word entrusted being used. And this morning what I want to do is I want to look at what does it mean that the gospel is entrusted, or the title is simply, How the Gospel is Entrusted. So this will hopefully provide a framework for us as we, as we kind of have a foundation to move forward in this series, as we start thinking about lots more application, putting things into focus. This is going to give us an idea of from, which, from where which we should work. So first thing I want us to know is that God entrusts the gospel to us. Now, let's look at verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Paul kind of begins this with what's typical of his letters. There are multiple letters by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Uh, Thirteen of them were written by him, uh, depending on whether you think Hebrews was written by him. It could be 14. I personally think it's 14. I think Paul wrote Hebrews, but this is 2 Timothy, so that doesn't really matter. So this is how Paul starts out his letters. It's a typical greeting. He's greeting Timothy. He's writing. He's an apostle of Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, that is in Christ Jesus. Now, the word apostle here uh, is, is a sent out one, one who's sent out with a message. It's not a term that is original with the Bible. It's just a common Koine Greek term. It's used by different things. But within the scriptures, within the church, the term apostle takes on a unique term because it's not simply just somebody sent out with a message. It, it's an office. It's a group of people. It's a very select group of people. Uh, we have the 12 who were with Jesus minus Judas who betrayed him and then hung himself. And then Paul who would later say he was one as abnormally born who came in at a different time. So you've got the 12 who are here. This is one of them, um, who is Paul. So not everyone is an apostle, even though we have been sent out with a message of the gospel. 
Paul is writing to Timothy. He says in verse 2, my beloved child. Now, we know that this is not his biological son. We know this because Paul mentions Timothy multiple places in the New Testament. Almost every time, there's five different times he mentions Timothy, referring to him as a child or a son. This is the only one where it doesn't have my child in the faith or my, my, my faithful child. So we know that what Paul is talking about here is that Paul is not Timothy's father, literally, but this is the depth of the relationship between these two men. They have shared much. As you read through Acts, as you read through the letters, this guy Timothy just keeps popping up. He's a traveling companion of Paul. He's one who's been with him uh, through crazy times and good times and hard times. He suffered with Paul. He's rejoiced with Paul. Paul was, was a, a, definitely a mentor to him. He discipled Timothy. And their relationship is very, very, very close. So much that he says, you are my true son in the faith. So Paul has left Timothy in a place called Ephesus. If you read the book of Ephesians in the Bible, it's a letter that Paul wrote to the church. Timothy is the pastor in Ephesus. That's where he is. And so Paul is writing to Timothy. He's a young pastor in this church. And he's saying, Paul, I'm writing to you, Timothy, my son in the faith. Now, what we see here is that we find the first idea of the gospel being entrusted. Notice what it says in verse 1. It says, Paul's an apostle by the will of God according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Now, we look at this and it could be that we think Paul is just simply telling us how he came to be an apostle. It's just according to the will of God, okay? People didn't come up with it. All right, that's good. But there's something that's important right here as we look at the idea of this promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, Paul's reference here, this according to life, is the idea of the gospel. The way that this happened, the way that this came, the beginning stages of this all is the gospel. And I want you to know why I think that's important and why I think that's what he's talking about here. Because Paul uses some of the exact same language down in verses 8 through 12. Let's read 8 through 12 again, okay? Now, I want you to know 8 through 12 is really like one gigantic huge, run-on sentence. You start reading Paul, and this dude could put sentences together like nobody else, okay? It's four verses, one sentence, okay? Notice the punctuation. It's just commas. He just keeps tossing phrases on there. You're like, dude, take a breath, write a couple more sentences. English teacher would be all over this, but he wrote in Greek, so it's okay. So here's what he says. Therefore, do not be ashamed of testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, sharing in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, in which he's now manifested through the appearing, here's what's important, through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher." Notice what he says. There's the idea there of life. So he has life in Christ. So in verse 1, is according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. And then we look in verse 10. Jesus abolished death and brought life through the gospel. But then also he's talking about he was appointed as an apostle in verse 1. And then we see verse 11. For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher. There's a connection there. It's not haphazard. It's not like those are the only words that Paul knew. There's a strong connection. Verses 8 through 12, Paul is laying out the gospel. We're going to talk about this in a minute. He's, he's putting forth the gospel right there in front of Timothy. 
But in verse 1, what we find, Paul is basing everything that he's doing, his calling, his hope, his everything, is on the fact that he has been entrusted with the gospel by God. That's what he says, by the will of God, according to the promise that is in Christ Jesus. Paul's not claiming ownership of this. He's not claiming he did this on his own. It was his idea. Paul is even from the very beginning of this letter laying out, I am who I am, what I am, where I am, what I'm doing, because God has given the gospel to me. God has entrusted the gospel to me. And that has got to be our starting point. That is where we begin. As we talk about the gospel being entrusted, many times what we want to think about is when we are entrusting the gospel with others. But Paul starts where we have to start to say, God has entrusted the gospel to us. That's a big statement. It's a really big statement, especially when we start thinking about what it means to have something entrusted. There's a responsibility that comes with that. There's a caretaking that comes with that. And if you're a follower of Christ, as Paul was, as Timothy was, then we have been entrusted with the gospel. We can't let that be something that's light or something we brush aside or we simply just assume and say, let me move on to bigger things. Paul reminds us God has entrusted the gospel to us. That's important as we move forward. That's important to think about how we then put into action the things we're going to be talking about next. So the question I have before we move on is what is this gospel with which we've been entrusted? What is it? Now, we, we want to be gospel-centered in all that we do. You hear us speaking of the gospel. Most of you would probably be able to say what the gospel is. But if Paul takes the time to give the gospel again to Timothy, I think it's wise for us to take a second and really remind ourselves, what is this gospel? What is it that's been entrusted? Because it, it's not something that, that's tangible as if, okay, I've given you, you know, my favorite collection that I've got or I've given you my pet rock, or I've given you something you know, crazy. I'm going to give this to you, or I've given you my children to take care of them while I'm gone. We've been entrusted not with something that's tangible physically, but we've been entrusted with the message of the gospel, something which is of great value and which can cause change and bring people from death to life. That's what we've been entrusted with. So what is that? What is this gospel? Well, What have we been entrusted with? We've been entrusted with the fact that we have been saved. Verse 9. We've been rescued from the power of sin and the wrath of God. We've been called to holiness in verse 9. So living a life, reflecting our status as the redeemed. Not a holy calling in order that we might earn something. Because remember what Paul says, we've been saved and then called to holiness. We've been redeemed by God. We've been called to live a holy life. Secondly, we've earned none of this. Look at what he says. God who... We see we've been, sa- we've been saved, caused to holy calling, not because of our good works. We didn't do this. We weren't good enough. God didn't say, I want you on my team because of all the qualities that you bring to the table. What God said, it wasn't because of what you've done that's good, but because of his purpose. God, the gospel is all of God. It's his plan. It's out of grace. He sent Christ so that we could receive it, and he abolished death by dying in our place. This is the gospel, and it is received by faith. That's what verse 12 is all about. Paul writes, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, 
and am persuaded and am convinced that he is able. I jumped into King James there for a second. I had that verse memorized in King Jimmy. For I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard unto that day what has been entrusted to me. You see, faith isn't about faith in itself. Faith is about the object, the object of our faith. Who is the object of our faith? The object of our faith is God. God has done all of this. From, from eternity past, God was going to send Christ to redeem us. And then Christ was made manifest. He came present, lived a literal, real life, an actual life that was actually perfect. And he actually died. And he actually rose from the dead. And he is actually alive today. And the gospel actually changes people in real life. It's not just something that's cool that we talk about or something that makes us Christians. It is real And Paul says, it's been entrusted to me, and that's why I can suffer, because I know who I believed in. I know that from all of eternity, this was his plan, and everything's happened exactly the way that he said it was going to happen. So I can trust in him no matter what life is like right now. That's the foundation You see, the danger is when we talk about being gospel-centered and we talk about the gospel regularly, the danger is we feel like we get over the gospel. Timothy was a pastor. Timothy had been saved. Timothy had been there for a long time and Paul's just continually pushing the gospel on him. Why? Because the gospel is how we also continue to grow in Christ. So Paul is, is reminding him, God has entrusted the gospel to us. You know why this is important? Because God has entrusted the gospel to us. To us. As individuals, but also as a church, which we'll talk about in just a minute. If we we start there and we really understand God has entrusted to us the gospel, it begins changing things. We, we feel a sense of the, the weight of that, the glory of that, the responsibility of that, the honor of that. That's important. So, how does God then want us to use this thing with which we've been entrusted? What I want to do is I want to work through the rest of these verses. I want to show you three ways that Paul directly or indirectly shows us that the gospel is then entrusted and handed off. Three ways the gospel is entrusted and handed off. First one is this. The church entrusts the gospel to each other. Um, I see it, and look at verse 3. Paul, Paul writes out, he, he's, he's thanking God for Timothy, and you know, a lot of times these verses, we want to kind of just kind of move through them. Paul's thankful for Timothy, of course. They're really good friends. Um, Where's Scott Paul get to the teaching? But look what he says. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers. Now, that just seems, it just seems odd to me. It, it seems almost out of place, because he's saying, I thank my God. And he's, what is he saying? I thank my God for you. That's really the idea that he's getting across there. I thank my God for you. He's telling Timothy, I am thankful for you. And when I pray, I thank God for you. So why does Paul throw in this little tidbit about whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience? 
Why is that important? Why is Paul bringing that up right here? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, it could be a prideful thing. Paul could be reminding Timothy of his heritage, saying, look, I am a Jewish guy. I am all the way back. I can trace my ancestors all the way to Abraham. Now, Abraham was a man of faith. And so what he's doing is almost kind of a prideful thing. But I don't think that's it, because we read Philippians chapter 3. Paul says he looks back at his heritage, and he would count it all as rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. So I don't think that's where Paul's going. But I think what it could be, I think it could be an identification, a sense of identity. In other words, Paul's recognizing that he is the recipient of something that is handed down that is of great value. He's recognizing that this is something bigger than himself. This is something that didn't originate with him, but this is something that's part of an eternal thing that God has handed down and has entrusted to multiple people. He's part of a community that's so much bigger than himself. Those who come before had served in faith, handed down to Paul and to us the call to stand firm in the faith. Now, if you hear a couple weeks ago, we, we were talking about Abraham when we were going through our epic series in Genesis, and we got to Genesis 12, um, and we were talking about Abraham, and I referenced a verse in Galatians. I want to read that passage again because it ties in here, and I think it helps us to see what Paul's saying because Paul wrote Galatians 2. This is what he says. Know then it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture Here's what's important. For seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Paul, looking back, he's reading the scriptures. He's seeing the truth of God, inspired by the Spirit. And he says, all the way back, these people, all the way, even looking back at Abraham, they believed that God would send a Redeemer, one who would make things right, one who would fix all things. And, the, and, the, and in doing so, they knew there's one who's coming who's going to fix it. I trust that God's going to keep his word and he's going to do that. And so Abraham's looking for that in faith. And the Bible says, as he believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness. What Paul helps us to see is that even that was the gospel being preached to Abraham, that he would know one who is coming who would set all things right, and faith in him is what would make us right with God. Even there. And what Paul is doing here is he's identifying, not in a prideful sense, I'm of the people of God. I'm of the Jewish people who always had the word. What Paul is doing is he's connecting himself with this larger group of people all the way down through history who have believed the word of God and who had followed it. You see, all throughout history, God has entrusted his message to his people. So even looking back at Abraham, we find it. We, we read the law. Now, don't misunderstand. When you hear the law, don't always think rules. So many times when we think we hear the law, we just think the rules that are included in the first five books of the Bible. In the Jewish mind, when you said the law, that was the entire first five books of the Bible. Everything from Genesis 1 to the end of Deuteronomy, all of that is the law. The rules are a portion of it, but the law is there. Why did God entrust that to his people? He wanted to show them that they had fallen and they needed a redeemer and there was one who was coming who was going to fix all things. He entrusted that to them. This is why the Jews of the first century were so adamant about the law. They knew it was God's word. They knew it contained uh, a wealth of knowledge. And Jesus even said, you search it looking for eternal life. And I tell you, they speak of me. That's what Jesus said. 
And so even them, they're looking, they know this has in it eternal life. God has entrusted it not just to individuals, but to a large group of people. And Paul here, he's identifying himself with this group of people. But we also know that as Christ died and as he ascended back into heaven, he's with his apostles. He is with those who are over the church, the apostles, those who are following Jesus, those who are about to go out in Acts 1.8. He says, but you will receive power and the Holy Spirit come, has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the other, to the ends of the earth. Why do I keep going to King James this morning? I don't know. It's just like when I get in a hurry, my mind just switches back to what I remembered as a child. So we're going here. He's, he's saying this, and he's entrusting to them the message of the gospel. Do you hear it? It's not just individuals. It's a group of people. The disciples, the apostles, all of those who are gathered there together, he's entrusting them with this message. This is important for us. This is very important for us. And hear me why this is important. We live in an extremely individualistic society. It's all about us we will be parts of groups but it's really all about me in a lot of ways and sometimes we lose the connection to something that's bigger something that's greater and paul reminds us even through this small statement that he's part of something bigger and he stands in a tradition of something that has been handed down throughout the ages a faith that has not changed. And we stand in that tradition of people who believe a message that from the beginning of time, God had handed down and entrusted. God has given it to the church. When theologians speak of the church, they speak of it in two ways. They represent it with church with a capital C, meaning all believers of all times who have ever trusted Jesus are part of the church, the big church. And God has entrusted the gospel to the church. But God has also entrusted the gospel to the church little c, the local body, the local gathering of believers, those who gather under the banner of Remedy Church. We, as a group of people, have been entrusted with the gospel. And the reason why it's interesting, he talks about just, he calls them his ancestors. He's got this connection with them. Why? Because they saw how vital it was to pass down this message of faith. We too have to remember how important it is to keep this focused and at the center of all that we do with each other. We are to be a people who have been entrusted with the gospel, who care for it, who guard it, and who have a responsibility of sharing it with each other. We encourage each other with it. We push each other with it. We cry with each other in the hope of the gospel. We rejoice in the hope of the gospel. We talk to each other about things that are going on in life, about fears, about joys, about whatever. All of it surrounded by the gospel. It is the, the fence that holds us together. And we don't do that merely in isolation. We do that with each other. As a church as a whole, as our community groups, the gospel is the core of it all. It is the engine that drives the whole thing. And if we ever lose that, if we ever lose that, we cease being the people that God's called us to be. That's why it's important. It's, it's in vogue right now in evangelical circles to talk about being gospel-centered. Th those are the buzzwords that go around. So if you're going to write a book and you want it to sell, you have to put gospel-centered 
blank, you know. Gospel-centered dog training, you know, whatever. You put that out, people are going to buy it. Why? Because it's gospel-centered. That's what people, that's what people want to hear, right? What, what Fudd and I want to lay before you and plead with you this morning, we want to be gospel-centered not because it's popular. We want to be gospel-centered because God has entrusted the gospel to us and has said we as a church must be completely anchored in nothing else but the gospel. Everything flows from there. Paul remembered he wasn't part of just an individualistic thing. He was part of a larger group that was held together by the gospel. So, the church entrusts the gospel to each other. Second thing we see is family entrusts the gospel to each other. Now, as Paul remembers Timothy, we see in uh, verse, verse 4, he remembers his tears. So there was, there was definite pain at their parting. He knows, uh, Timothy knows Paul might be enduring suffering. You know this hardship right there. He remembers the pain. But then he also says in verse 5, that he's reminded of Timothy's sincere faith. And then he says something else that's interesting. He says, your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. Paul goes back and he starts talking about his family. Now, we know that in Acts, when, we, when Timothy first comes on the scene, we're told that his, that his mother is a Jew uh, who is a believer. Um, and then we're told that his father is a Greek, and that's all we're told about him. We're told nothing else about his father. His father never comes up again. And the, the assumption that we have, or maybe the assumption that I make, whether right or wrong, is it seems like it's important. They're telling us that his mother was a believer, and it seems to be pointing out his father was not. And yet Timothy was. His grandmother was a believer. His mother was a believer. He's mentioned that his father, his father's not a believer. But Timothy is. And again, this could seem like insignificant details or just things that are neat to know about Timothy or just a little bit of background, but it's important because there's no doubt in my mind that what Paul is doing here, because as he talks to Timothy, he tells him to fan into flame that gift, that faith that's there. He tells him that later on. Why does he go back and mention these two women? And I think the reason that he does this is because Paul knows these women were instrumental in handing down their faith to their grandson and their son. Paul looks at him. He reminds them. He reminds Timothy of two women who had an impact on his life. Why else would we be told twice in scriptures about his grandmother and mother and their faith? It's important. He wants us to know this. And Paul is encouraging him. He's pushing him forward. He wants him to believe wholeheartedly and steadfastly in the gospel And he goes back and he points to those people so near to him who handed down the faith to him. What we find is that it's a reminder that family entrusts the gospel to each other. When Paul's writing instructions to fathers in the book of Ephesians, Paul Paul is just giving bullet points of things people should do, how people should respond in family. He's giving there, he's fleshing it out. And listen to what he says to fathers. He says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but... Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You notice what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, teach them to be moral people. He doesn't say, teach them to be on their best behavior. He doesn't say, keep them quiet in church. He doesn't say, make sure they have good grades and they work hard. He doesn't say, make sure they're a constructive member of society. What does he say? 
raise them up in the fear and the instruction of the Lord. That's what he says. What's most important in any relationship between parent and child is that we raise them up in the instruction of the Lord. That's what's vital. That's what's key. And what is that instruction? Is it not the gospel? Is it not the good news, the core of everything, of who we are, the one thing that I said earlier anchors us down? Paul lays it out there and talks about how important it is that as parents, we hand down the gospel. We've been entrusted, and so we must hand it down to the children God has given to us. Now, that doesn't mean automatically that they will respond to it. We weep over them and we pray, God, open their hearts that they might hear this word and not simply say they believe it because I believe it, but would it really sink down in their hearts? Would they trust it? Would they believe it? And would you save them with the gospel? That's what we want. That's what we pray. We can't control their response, but we've been entrusted the gospel. And if you're a parent, God has said, entrust the gospel, entrust the gospel, entrust the gospel. And wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it be awesome if one day when our children have their faith tested, how many of us want to be able to say they could look back at our faith and it would be an encouragement to them? That somebody could write them a letter and say, Remember your mother's faith. Remember your father's faith. Remember your grandmother, your grandfather's faith. Remember how steadfastly they believed, even when it was difficult, that they were always talking about Jesus. And at the time, you may not have understood it, but you saw, pictured a beautiful representation of the gospel. That should be our longing. That's what we want. That doesn't mean we're going to get it perfect. That doesn't mean we're always going to get it right. That doesn't mean if you hadn't been doing it up until now that all is lost. In fact, when you don't get it right, in fact, if you start doing it now, it's a beautiful picture of the gospel. Can you look at your child and say, I've really messed up. I've really been doing this wrong. And God showed that to me. And I'm confessing to you that I've done something wrong. And I've asked God to forgive me. And I'm going to ask you to forgive me. And I'm going to strive to be the parent that God wants me to be. Is that not another facet of the gospel being shown right there? You see, Paul could encourage Timothy because his mother and grandmother had entrusted the gospel to him. Let us be a place where our children know and hear the gospel over and over and over again. That they might be encouraged, that their faith might be strong when it's tested. So, so families entrust the gospel to each other. Third thing is, the, uh, fourth thing is, third, fourth, this one. Individuals entrust the gospel to others. I, it's in Roman numerals, but it's out of order, so we'll just figure it out. Individuals entrust the gospel to others. Now, we've already looked through verses 8 through 12, and we're looking at the first points. So I want us to pick up in verse 13. Um, these are instructions that Paul gives to Timothy. He says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So what he says is, follow the pattern of words you've heard from me. In other words, the gospel that Paul has laid out, he's already laid this out here. He says, follow that. 
And we know that Timothy is, is, is already a believer because of all the plural pronouns that God uses in 8 through 12. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, um, but share in his suffering, who saved us and called us, not because of our works, which he gave us. And so the idea here, he's over and over and over. He's, he's saying, I'm writing to you, Timothy. This is you and I. We've walked this together. I've talked to you about it. This has been in your life. It continues to be in your life. This is our message. And Paul has handed it down to Timothy. And he says, continue in the pattern. Follow it. Do what he said. Paul had continually spoken the gospel to Timothy as he pursued Jesus. Timothy had heard and believed. And so now Paul reminds Timothy that these things have been entrusted to him. And he is to guard it. That's what verse 13. 14 says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. This is the pattern of the gospel. We see this. This is the pattern. We've already seen it. Ancestors pass it on to those who come after them. Families pass it on to children. Individuals pass it on to believers. When we are entrusted with the gospel, remember, we are also entrusted with a responsibility to pass it on to other people. The gospel doesn't end with us. We are merely a conduit of the gospel. The gospel comes in, it changes us, it justifies us, it brings us to God, it sanctifies us, it makes us more like Jesus, but we are a conduit of the gospel. Because later what we'll see is that Paul in in chapter 2 actually tells Timothy what he needs to do is take what he's learned and give it to somebody else. But that's for future sermons. So, what do we do with all this? Well, I I know that this morning... um, I focus a lot on this idea of entrusting in the word here. There's probably some some things in here I didn't I didn't go over, you know, I didn't talk about God's not giving us a spirit of fear, but a power. There's multiple things we could done. I, I've intentionally focused on these things that I think are good for us to hear because, as I said earlier, we speak of the gospel often. But I want us to understand why that's the case. That's why. We've got to remember that if the gospel's been entrusted to us, we have a responsibility and privilege to entrust it to others. I think the other thing that's good about this is the connection with some of these, uh, with what Paul's saying in the verses, we see them entrusted. We see how the gospel encourages us. So, so kind of some of the uh, I guess benefits or the effects of the gospel as well. A couple of things. One, the gospel brings hope. So in verses 8 and 12, Paul has talked about the idea that he has, that he's suffering, but he has hope in the midst of suffering. Uh, Verses 8 and 12. So we know that at the same time, there's a sense of hope. Paul is suffering because he's believed the gospel, because he is a preacher of the gospel, because he has trusted in the faith, because he will not recant and he will not hold back from what he believes. He's in the midst of suffering. But Paul doesn't permit it, doesn't present it as if he's just despondent with fear or has no hope he's encouraging timothy he's telling telling timothy don't be ashamed of me stand strong in the faith there's a sense of hope that comes from the gospel and it's a hope that can't be vanquished because our hope is not in ourselves or another person but in jesus the one from whom all things flow the one from whom we find redemption and hope, the one who for all of eternity made this his plan and made sure everything come about. You see, when we encourage each other with the gospel, we have hope no matter what we face. The other thing is the gospel moves us to prayer. Paul's moved to thank God for Timothy as he thought about his faith. Paul saw the, 
the faith in the gospel in Timothy. He saw this faith. And as we see as Paul's pattern in multiple places, he sees the faith of somebody else. And what does it do? It drives him to prayer. Oh God, look what you're doing in their lives. Look at the gospel taking root. Look how it's changing them. Look at the, oh, oh my goodness, look at what is happening. God, you are awesome. You are amazing. I thank you that you are using Timothy. I thank you that you have changed Timothy. God, I always want to thank you for Timothy because I see what the gospel is doing in his life. See, it drives us to prayer because prayer isn't, well, maybe God can do something. Prayer is, God, you have done something and you are doing something and God, you will do something. So I come to you because you are the sovereign ruler of the universe and your gospel has an amazing effect. It drives us to pray. Thirdly, it strengthens our our own faith. See, we don't only need faith when we come to the gospel. We need faith to continue on in the gospel. That's what Paul says, to fan into flame. He says, fan it into flame, the gift of God which is in you. God, he's saying, you've seen faith, you've heard faith, draw even nearer to God. As we encourage each other, as we encourage our children, as we disciple others, we are encouraging their faith. They are encouraging ours. And God, the Bible is the Bible saying, without faith, it is impossible to please God. It strengthens our faith together as a body, as individuals, as families. The last thing is this, the gospel moves us to make disciples. I said multiple times, we are entrusted with the gospel, entrusted with the responsibility to share it with others. And Paul reminds Timothy, what you've heard from me, one-on-one, I poured into your life. I spoke the gospel, I showed the gospel, I lived the gospel, I encouraged you with the gospel. I did this. And what you've seen and heard, put into practice. Do it. The question I have for us is, who are the people that we're investing in? Who are the people that we are taking the gospel and pouring it into their lives? As individuals, as a church, as families, who are we pouring into? Who are we seeking to make disciples? Who is it that we're seeking to pour the gospel into that is not yet a follower of Jesus? That we want to become a follower of Jesus, that we want to see become a disciple and then make disciples themselves. Who is that? Who is God placed in your life with whom you can entrust the gospel? It could even be that you're here this morning because somebody is seeking to entrust the gospel in you. They love you, they care for you. They want you to know and believe and have the hope of the gospel. You see, it's easy to talk about being gospel-centered, and sometimes we lose the idea of the scope of what that means. So I pray that we be a church that doesn't just talk about it, but that we really do it. And and I want to tell you something. I I think we do. I think we go beyond just talking about gospel-centered. This isn't one of those, you know sermons where you're coming around the back door to try to fuss at everybody. I really want this to be an encouragement. I hear the gospel. I see the gospel. I know of people who are being encouraged by the gospel. I see parents who are wanting their children to know and love Jesus, who are speaking the gospel to them, not just wanting to raise good kids, wanting to raise kids who love Jesus. I see people who are meeting with other people, encouraging with the gospel, pushing them forward. I see community groups that are speaking the gospel to each other. We hear the gospel together. 
I don't want to say we've arrived, but what I say is we're going the right way. Let's go even further. Let's do even more. We've been entrusted with such a great treasure. Let's continue to polish it and set it on display for everyone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for saving us and rescuing us and redeeming us and entrusting the gospel to us. God, I pray that we would continue to be a faithful people, a people who have taken your word and received it and then are overly generous with sharing what we've received. God, I pray that we'd be a people who seek others with whom we can share the gospel, believers and unbelievers. God, that we wouldn't limit it to, okay, we're going to encourage each other. We're going to be just in our group. We're just going to be our church. And if somebody comes, that's great, but we're going to keep it in here. God, I pray that we would be out sharing the gospel, recognizing that there's people you've put in our lives, co-workers, neighbors, friends, people on ball teams, all of these different things. God, you have placed people in our lives who don't know you, and we have the glorious chance and responsibility to share the words of hope and encouragement found in the gospel. Lord, may we not simply keep it to ourselves. May we be a conduit of your grace to a lost and dying world. Father, take us, use us. I pray that we would not look back and say, this was a high point where we saw ourselves loving the gospel and we went downhill from here. But I pray that this would be the beginning of something even greater, even larger, even more magnificent, all because of what you've done through us. So Father, take this, use this, Push us forward in our faith that we might exemplify what you've caused to be. We ask it in Christ's name.